Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I'm excited to carry a word to you today. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 17. Uh, We're going to talk in the Old Testament today. I like the Old Testament. Uh, I'm a story guy. I like stories, right? I like stories of God's goodness and His grace and His compassion and His action. Uh, But I'll be honest today, uh, my heart's a bit heavy today. And, and I, might, I might get emotional. I know I, I don't get emotional much, but I might. Because I'll turn 45 this year, so I'm not, I'm middle-aged, as my son likes to tell me. Thank you, son. Uh, exactly, 45. But what I've realized in my life is that as a Christian through the years, I've maybe, I've maybe given up too much ground, too much leeway, too much space, for the devil. Maybe I've, I've, I've given too much ground. And when I say ground, I mean the, the Lord gives us responsibilities in life and he gives us, a lot of people like it call it callings or passions or things that he's told you to do. And, and in, in, the, in this Christian walk, it's easy to be worn down, isn't it? And it's, it's easy to be, uh, to be a little bit beaten down and disheartened. And sometimes instead of fighting, we, we give up ground. And, and I, I have, in a, in a series of reflections, in a, in a time of reflection, realized that in my life, I've maybe given up too much ground. Maybe. Now, I don't say that like, oh, bad Jay. I say that like, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm, I'm done giving up ground. I, I'm, I'm done thinking about the things that I shouldn't have done or that I should have did. I'm done worrying about the things that I can't control. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really just done. I, I'm done giving in to, to Satan's temptations. I'm done giving in to the frustrations of life. I, I'm just kind of done. Today, I want to talk about a story in the Bible about holding your ground. Now, most people don't think of it this way, but I'll tell you what, I, I have been impacted by this because as a Christian, we, we tend to spend our whole life fighting, fighting for the precepts of God, fighting in our community to get, our, to get the word out, fighting in our families to, to keep the darkness at bay. We fight a lot, don't we? And, and it seems to always surround us. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I'm just tired of giving up ground. You see, we don't, we don't have to give it up, but we do. We don't have to succumb, but we do. It's sometimes easier. You know, it's, it's really easier when you get those 2 a.m. phone calls from a son or a daughter that things aren't great. When, 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 when maybe disappointment sets in. Maybe, maybe things in life don't go the way that you've planned them to. It, it, it can be tough. You, you, you lose ground every day as a Christian. Well, that's how we feel anyways. You see, the, the devil, and this is no surprise to anybody, but the devil is a sneaky dude. You know, when you come to, when you come to, to service and you leave all amped up and you're like, yay, God, I, I'm strong, I got this, he, he typically doesn't smack you in the face because you, you're, you expect it to be coming. Like, I'm ready. My, my faith is strong. I'm, I'm built up. I'm prayed up. I've got this. And when things come your way, they tend to just kind of thank you, Jesus. But when you're not prepared, when you're down, is when the devil tends to attack. And it's a sneak attack. And it's frustrating. And it's hard. And that's where I feel like we lose ground. 
You see, the truth is the devil's always ready to attack. And, and as Christians, we are always responding to those attacks. And I don't know how I feel about the, we're responding and waiting and not being proactive. I, I kind of feel like as a Christian, we should be on the aggressive side, but then we take it, we, get, <laughs> we go crazy and we take it way too far, you know, and then we scare people. It's true. So Exodus 17 it's a really good story, and if you've been in the church for some point in time, you understand the story, and you know the story, so we're just going to walk through it, and if you turn your Bible to Exodus 17, 8, we're going to read uh, about, uh, about Amalek. He, he really was the, the guy from that started the Amalekites, but let's turn to Exodus 17, and let's read chapter 8, or verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at, at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with a staff, uh, with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it came about when Moses held up his hand, the Israelites prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, I, I grew up reading about the story, and I, I admire the the. the the traditional way of telling the story. But I would propose to you that there's a lot more and deep stuff that has to, that applies today. And you know, some people say the Old Testament doesn't apply today. And I say, phooey. It really applies today, right? I mean, not, not a word goes void for us. And we can always apply it to our lives. So we, ha- we have this guy, let's set the stage here. We have this guy named Amalek. He was the son of Esau. You know, Esau's son, who was promised things from God, and, and, and he should have known who the Israelites were because he was Esau's kid, right? Uh, he was also, which is interesting, the father of the Malachites. Now, if you've read through history, First and Second Kings, you'll know that the Amalekites were really a thorn in the side and the, pre- the predominant enemy to the, to the people of Israel for a very long time, right? And so now we know Amalek was the very first one. He was the Amalekite. He started the, he was the father of that, of that tribe. Now they were a warring faction that raided the, the valley quite often. They were very feared. They were like the horde. Where they went, people died and people lost stuff. And they were very afraid of, the, of, the, of Amalek and his men. And so uh, uh, along comes Moses and the million Israelites, right? They just got out of Egypt. God had provided for them. They were resting in the valley of Goshen. And now they, and before this, in, in verses one through eight, they were complaining about not having water. I, it's kind of typical of Christians to complain about the things they don't have, right? Because we get tired, but I get it. And so, you know, what happened was they looked at Moses, he smacked the rock, water came out, everybody's happy. And here we are now, the, the, set, the, the, the sun is setting on that event and we're, now we're going to the horizon of people raiding them. Now, the, the interesting thing is the scripture here in this passage is just like, oh, along comes Amalek and they fight. That's really not what happened. Now, in those days, the Israelites would go through the desert and they had a million people traveling. So what usually happened? The stronger ones would be in the front. In the middle, they would carry all the stuff. And at the end, they would have the elderly and the weak and the people that were sick, and they would trail along. 
Now, Amalek, being a raider, he always, he never really attacked Israel from the front, which I thought was interesting, right? Where the strength was at. He always attacked from behind. In fact, he really was a pesky dude. He would pick them off one by one and steal stuff, and then he'd be out. And that's how he raided the Israelites for months and months and months up to this point. It's quite an interesting story if you look at Numbers and Deuteronomy and Psalms. There's lots of historical things that will point you to this. And it's kind of a thing. It's kind of like the, the enemy attacks us today, right? He's a pesky dude. He always attacks us when we're weak, when we're not prepared. And so he always attacked from the rear as everyone lagged behind. He, he didn't come right at him. Like, because, you know, let's be honest. If you're a come at me, bro, right, you're ready for it. But if someone comes up behind you and kicks you in the back of the knee... You're going to fall down. I don't recommend that, but, but, but you got, you're re- if you're ready, it's different. And so Amalek was pesky. He was fierce, and his army would raid, kill, leave. That was, that was the way they did it. And so here we have this story of really Moses is tired of being raided and not fighting back. And so it really quickly escalates into this. Hey, hold your ground. We're going to fight. Now, let me give you some context here. Up to this point, the Israelites had never fought. They never fought anybody. They, they didn't train to fight. There's no scripture that supports that. They were really a bunch of slaves who came out of Egypt and ran with God's provision. They never had to fight anybody to this point. In fact, we, we now hear Joshua for the very first time, right? Joshua just comes in the scene. His name wasn't even actually Joshua yet. And, and now all of a sudden, Moses is telling him, hey, hey, Joshua, you lead these dudes and fight these crazy raiders. Well, that's, that's kind of intimidating, isn't it? So it, it's, it's almost like, and I, you know, I, when I was a kid, I played a lot of pickup basketball on the courts by my house and, you know, you, you, or, or pickup football, right? Flag football, anybody ever done that? Where it's like, okay, all right, you go left and go up here and take a left and then I'll throw it here and I'll come over here. That was really the extent of their plans. It was like a big pickup game. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know what they're doing. All they knew is they had the staff of God and Moses, and they had a group of dudes that were willing, or probably people willing to fight these raiders because they, they were tired of being killed off. And they were tired of all the things that, that was happening to them. And so they stood their ground. They had enough. Now, I am at a place in my life where I've really had enough. Like an, enough of the devil picking off people in my family, in my community, in my church, in my life. And so I would propose to you today that maybe we all could as a church say, enough is enough, let's hold our ground. Now, we got to hold our ground. Now, this city needs us to hold our ground. This city I don't want to say demands, but they are asking for someone to hold their ground. Your family is asking for someone to hold their ground. Your, your children, parents, grandparents, they need us to hold our ground. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Amalek. I mean, th- these are a million people strong. And who do they think they are just attacking Israel? They, did they not know that they are God's uh, uh, children, that they've been promised all the land in front of them? I think that's what made Moses and God so angry is these Amalek should have known being Esau's son. These were God's people, yet he's still convinced 
to, to, to attack and he became a thorn in the side. So it's interesting, and I, I, I'll focus on two, two people. Really, Joshua, who's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, at this point, like I said earlier, we, we had never seen him come onto the scene yet. He was just one of the Israelites, the million. And so, you know, I'm sure inspired by the Lord, Moses said, okay, Joshua. Uh, he might have been close to the upper echelon of his trusted advisors, but he was about 45, which is my age. But in that, in that time, maybe that, maybe that a lot younger. I don't know, maybe that was like being 20. But... He said to Joshua, hey, go get some dudes and fight the raiders. Now, <laughs> I can only imagine what Joshua felt. First of all, he wasn't trained. He never fought before. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a guy who had like, oh, I got 10 shields and three bows and five crossbows and a pickaxe and I got everything. He's like, uh, I barely got shoes and I barely got a cloak and we don't have any armor right? Because what we know is the Israelites came on under Joshua to be very successful at warring. But at this point, he wasn't ready for it. And we know this because, I, because he just went out and did it. And as the story goes, every time the hands would go down to Moses, what would happen? They would lose, right? So it's not like before where this army came forward and they just mowed through everybody. They, they really didn't know what they were doing. You know, I, I would say, you know, <laughs> In life, we don't really know what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> At least I'm speaking for myself here. Yeah. And so we, we, we have to, in, 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 in church, we sometimes say, well, I, I can't do that, or I'm not ready for this, or I shouldn't do this. And so we let that hold us back. And instead of holding our ground or taking more ground, we give up ground. And so I would say to you this, I, I love John 16, where it says, I have said these things to you, but that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. We have hindsight now and we have all these scriptures to know who God is inside of us. And yet as Christians, we still get disheartened and lose ground every day. And that is obvious in society. If you don't think we've lost ground, you're wrong. I was talking to somebody at men's breakfast, and by the way, good job, men. 53 guys coming out, praying together. That's awesome. I'll tell you what, that's how we take back ground, right? Okay, so we're getting, we're getting the hang of that. But I'll tell you what, this, we were talking about a lot of issues that were probably, and I will mention them, probably uncomfortable to a lot of us in this room and how the church really lost the argument or the foothold, and now we just go, well, that's the way it is. That's our fault, folks. Now, I'm not saying go out and get in the streets and hold signs and wave and scream and yell and act like an idiot. But we, what we do is now is we fight the spiritual battle. We, we don't fight flesh and blood, right? We fight against him, the devil, with him on our side. We fight against that guy, the wily one. And we fight, we, we pray, we believe, we trust, and that's how we fight. And so... We have overcome because he has overcome. And I think that's the important part. Now, so, so Joshua wasn't equipped. We're not equipped, right? But he won, and so I would say, so can we. Now, why is that true? Well, let's look at Moses. 
Fair enough. Moses had, up to this point, had lots of experience trusting and relying and actually hearing God's voice. Burning bush, come out of Egypt, right? I mean, manna, you know, and food and hitting the rock and all this stuff. He really relied and trusted on God and he knew that God would always come through. The people of Israel, they knew that God would come through for Moses and not for them. Because when water wasn't plenty, they like, Moses, what are you gonna do? Moses, it's your fault. We, you brought us here. That, that happened a lot, by the way, murmuring and bickering and complaining and all, all those things, but they blamed the guy. They didn't blame him. And so it, it, at what's, it, what's really important to this point is at this point, Moses really established that he was the leader and God spoke through him. Now that happened a lot in the Old Testament, but what we know about this battle is more about the Israelites trusting in God than it was in Moses' staff. Because what we see is Moses lifting his hands. Now, I don't know about you. If I was Moses, <laughs> it'd be kind of interesting. A good game plan. You go down and fight. I'll go up here and hold my staff. <laughs> I, that that might have meant something to him. But uh, if, if, if Isaac and I were saying, okay, let's go get in a fight, Isaac. We're going to fight these dudes. And I'm going to hold my staff while you do the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, wow. Okay. Now, fine. I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't, <laughs> Isaac wouldn't have much comfort in me helping him. Right, But in this case, it was probably the best plan they had because they didn't know how to fire. They didn't really have much weapons and they probably used like pitchforks and spears and whatever they could make out of it. Right, And so here we are with the, the Israelites fighting and trying, going to fight. And I can imagine Moses, all right, I'm gonna raise my staff. What's interesting about this is it doesn't actually say that Moses was praying and interceding here. He, he didn't do that. And in fact, a lot of scholars think that he was literally showing them who God was by holding the staff up. And can you imagine his eyes when Moses' staff went down? He said, oh, that's really heavy. And then he noticed that his people were being slaughtered. I, I, that, that, that's heavy. Woohoo! People are dying. Woohoo! Kids are dying. Kids holding spears, not knowing what they're doing. But every time he raises his staff, they realize that they were winning because God gave them the victory. Now you say, well, that, that's really cool. But I, but I say this, that, that that is the same way we fight today. That is the same way that we fight. See, a lot of you sit in this room. Here, here's what I love about Moses as he just was a doer. God told him he did it. Now he had some arguments with the Lord and, and some things, but he always went out and always trusted God and always did things. And when he didn't, he was punished for, but at the end he brought the Israelites up to the promised land. Joshua was the one that brought him in, which is great, but he was God's trusted servant. You, my friends, as Christians, are God's trusted servants. You're the ones that he's called to, to save the city, to, to preach the gospel, to witness to your friends, and to do those things. And I know, because I know what I would have said like five years ago. If I was Moses five years ago, I'd be like, I ain't doing that. I'm just going to leave them out of Israel. God provided. We're going to cross the Red Sea and go live in the hobbit shacks. Right, I, that's not for me. I don't know how to do that. Now Moses knows how to do that, and he's seen God's trusted word. And so I know a lot of you are sitting in this room going, "Well, well, Jay, I, that's not my calling. My my ministry is not to really, you know, hold the staff of God and do some cool stuff. You know, that's that's what the pastoral staff does, right? We we have Jeremy and Kara and Jess and Dav and all those things. They do that. I come to church and I give my tithe. Now that's important. Don't get me wrong. 
but 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 we are we are conditioned today to think that we are only people in the pews and we are good people and it's always about us internally. We spend a lot of time in our family thinking about us and that's okay too. But as Christians, we're really part of the battle, right? Our spiritual warfare is to fight for this city, is to fight for the people in our neighborhoods, is to fight for our families and to really be focused on how to win. And how do we win? We look at Moses, we raise our hands. And we say, Lord, we surrender and we look to you for the answers. Now, here's what I'll say. You know, if you, I see you in these, in these seats. Now, I don't see you the way you are today. I see you five years from now. How are you going to look in five years, right? Let's say the next five years you devote yourself to reading the Bible, preaching God's word, witnessing to your friends, really focusing on overcoming the obstacles in your life and being victorious. How are you going to be different in five years from now? You will be. You'll be ready for that battle. I have a saying that I love to say, and I know some of you are already laughing about it, but I see you in the future and you look much better than you look right now. And, and that's awesome. I love, I, man, I want to lose 30 pounds in the future. Maybe more. <laughs> you know, I, I, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and Christ because as a Christian, we get stronger. We're supposed to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the days go on, right? We get more mature. We get stronger. We know how to fight better. And before you know it, you're doing things you never thought possible, like going to the Philippines, leading teams to the Philippines, right? right? Like, like doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like fish fries with thousands of people, like ministering to your friends, ministering the gospel to your... Five years ago, I wasn't the same guy I am today. And, and here's the good news. Neither should you be. So you're going to be different in five years, but here's the problem in the church. And I've been saying this to my kids for a long time. We're always worried about what we will be, not who we are today. Right? We're, we're, we're worried about what, I want to be a pastor, so I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that, and I'm going to be, when I was a kid, I used to say, man, I want to preach on TV. I said that. But, but I didn't do the work to get there. I didn't think about what I'm doing now. And so your future looks great, but guess what? Your future's up to God. The Israelites didn't know, their, they knew their future, didn't, didn't they? We're going to go to the promised land. No one's going to bother us. Wait a minute, we got to fight? What? I, I don't know how to fight. They didn't sit around and talk about what we're going to do to strategize, to get over it. They had a pickup game. I'll go up there, you go down there, you swing a sword, I'll pray for you, right? And so I would pose you today, part of your future is living in the now. It's living today in the now. What are you doing today to overcome obstacles? What are you doing today to get the victory for your family? What are you doing today to witness to your neighbor? And it's not about being ready like Joshua wasn't ready. It's not about being ready. It's about just taking that first step and swinging that sword. That's what we have to do. We have to think about who we could be. Who are you now? You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Greater is he in me than anywhere else. He equips you and empowers you to do greater things than he could ever do. You are the embodied presence of the living God, walking it out on daily earth. He lives inside of us. His spirit does. He equips us. He makes us ready. But guess what? We have to live in the now, and we have to take those first steps. A lot of us aren't willing to do that. It's too scary. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't read enough books. I'm Jay, I, 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 uh, I, I'm waiting for so-and-so to, to, put a, you know, to come ask me to do stuff. I hear that all the time well, no one's asked me to do anything, so I just figured I'd wait. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but at, at my job, I, I work here and another job, 
if my boss, if I told my boss that, I wouldn't have a job very long. Oh, sorry, Tom, I'm waiting for you to come tell me what to do. I just figured I'd sit around and, you know, surf on the interwebs while you talk, while you, while you tell me what to do, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but that doesn't go very far. But yet somehow in, in the church, it's now become the norm. I'm going to sit around and wait for someone to tell me to do something or ask me to do something. I'm not going to find a need and fill it. My dad used to say to me, Jay, if you don't know what to do, you're not opening your eyes big enough. Because there's lots to do. And there's lots of places to, 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 to serve. And, and I'm not just talking at church. Yeah, we have places to do here. We have lots of things you could do in the church. But I'm talking about serving in your families. I'm talking about serving in your community. I'm talking about serving in the city. There's lots of things you can do, but yet we don't do it because we're waiting for a calling from God. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that's not how it works, folks. Because you're not going to be the same person in five years if you just serve the Lord. And how do you get there? You By saying yes. If, if, how do you get there? If someone says, if you see someone hurting in a need and you walk by them, you're not doing anybody, including yourself, any good. You're losing ground in the city. I drove through the, we drove from uh, Lincoln City back here the other day and I was driving through Portland and even Vancouver and I saw a lot of homeless people. Now, you could argue, Jay, that's a political thing, and we have all these social, economically, baloney. You know what it is? We're not doing enough to help those in need. Now, I don't know about you, but I am willing to do that. I, I don't give money to homeless people, but, a, but I've been sure willing to help them. As a church, we have to come up with plans and strategies to help all those around us, but it starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with us not losing ground. Like Moses, he said, that's enough of a Malik. I'm done losing ground. I'm done being picked off. Well, folks, I'm kind of done today with us not finding our place and staying in our place and winning ground for the kingdom. We have work to do. Just like them, they had a promised land. You know what our promised land is? Our promised land is victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. It's victory in the Lord, and everything that I put my hand to is succeeds. Well, that's not realistic, Jay. Hogwash, it is. You know why it's realistic? Because I serve a Lord who made it mine, who gave me everything I need to succeed in life. That's what victory looks like. And I'm way off my notes. <laughs> but here's what I'll tell you. You and I have to stop giving up ground. I can't tell you what your ground is. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what my ground is. I know what I've been assigned in life. Listen, folks, here's the deal. If you're a father or a mother, that's your ground. If you're a grandparent, that's your ground. If you're an employee, that's your ground. If you breathe and those around you that you talk to, that's your ground. Everywhere you go, you take up or give up ground. I'm just telling you right now, it's not, it's not easy to take ground. It, is, it takes sacrifice, dedication. Can you imagine being Moses? Has anybody ever done wall squats? Man, you sit against the wall and you, you do this. and it, it, The first five minutes are fine. Well... 30 seconds, <laughs> right? The, the first 30 seconds are fine, but what happens in minute two? Your legs start to burn. Minute three, right, right? Meg's got it. Your legs start to shake. 
And then that jello-y feeling sets in and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore. And before you know it, you just want to collapse. But here's the thing. What happens if you push through it? Nothing. Eventually the jelly feeling goes away or you fall. Right? I mean, here's the truth. A lot of you won't start something because you're afraid to fail. Why? The best way to learn is to fail. Everything I've ever learned in life that's valuable is because I suck at it. I, I, I mean, seriously, you know, I never learned how to work on cars until I tried. I changed an alternator and it took me like 17 hours the first time. It's true. And I busted some knuckles and my son was holding the flashlight for 17 hours. And, but, but here's the thing. Now I can change an alternator in an hour. It just takes practice. So when you're out and about in the kingdom, remember, it's only about taking that first step and practicing. You might walk up to someone with a word, a personal revelation. Maybe God said, hey, God loves you, and you might muck it up, and that's okay. And they might look at you like you're crazy, but that's okay, because it's not really about them. It's about you being obedient. It's about you growing, right? You think Joshua knew how to swing a sword? I'm sure this is going to sound awful, so forgive me, but I'm sure the first few people he killed didn't go so well. I mean, I, I don't, oh, Jay, that's so bad. But it's probably true, right? I mean, let's think about it. They didn't have any training, so they had to rely on the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying go out and swing a sword and do those things, because that's not what we do today. But we fight in other ways. So, so here's the thing. We're doing the one-year reading, one-year Bible reading, right? How many of you are on target? Okay, good. How many of you behind? So don't be ashamed. How many of you haven't started yet? That's okay, too. Because here's the thing, you got to start somewhere. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to know his word. Uh, listen, I, I believe in personal revelation, but if it's separate from the word of God, it's nonsense. It's true. It's true. It's not revelation. Our revelation is all right here. That's all we need. That's all we have. It's in the scriptures. So, so here's the thing, start somewhere. So how many of you serve in the kids area? I'm not putting you on the spot. I mean, that's great, right? right? How many enjoy serving in the kids area? I, do, I, I don't. This is fine. But, but we need more. How many of you volunteer for the youth? How many do things in greeting? How many, how many know your neighbor's names? Wow, come on. You know, I, I lived in Ohio. Here's, here's okay, now, now I'm way off my notes, but here we go. I lived in Ohio. One of my favorite things about Ohio is everyone knew everybody. I called it the Desperate Housewives Club. I came home. First of all, we had a big community. There were no fences anywhere. We were going to put up a fence, and my neighbor goes, why? I go, because... It's, I don't know. Uh, that's what you do. You put up a fence. <laughs> They're like, well, we don't put up fences because we like the open feeling. We want our families to run together. And do, I'm like, wow, that's, you guys are weird. I want to put up a fence because I don't want you in my backyard. Now, that, I don't, that's just where I, that's the Northwest feeling, right? That's just how it is. But there they're like, no, it's all about family. So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'm cheap. So I said, fine. We'll, we'll give it a few days and see how that works. But what I, learned, what I noticed about Ohio is not only were the kids and the community together, I knew like 30 of my neighbors. I never knew that before. I mean, the first day there, I think I, it was crazy. My wife told me that like eight ladies came over and gave us cookies. And I, and she's, I know she's like, what's going on? I lived, in, I, lived in, I lived in Denver and not one of my neighbors ever knew who I was. No, it's true. It's true. And so that, that, that's a different kind. That's what I loved about Ohio. I love the people there. I love the fact that they were willing to have a community just like a church. In church, we're a community of believers, right? 
we're, we're the body of Christ. And so here's the cool part. It, you should be able to get your help within these walls. You should be able to go to a friend in this wall and say, hey, I'm struggling with X and Z and pray for me. You should be able to go to them and say, I need your help. I need you to help me fix my closet door. I need you to help me fix my car. I need you to help me pray for my kids. I need you to help me take back ground. And you should be able to find all the support you need here. And that's what the church really is. You see, I have heard, and I'm I'm a little aggressive when someone says this to me. If you're not going to church because you're watching Bethel TV or TBN, and that's your church, you've missed the boat. Now, those are good. So don't, if you, I have Bethel, great, great. Those are all good things. But it does not replace the community of believers that are here. And see, that, that was the thing with the Israelites. They were a team. They were Team Moses, Team Joshua, right? They fought together. They counted on each other. They looked to Moses for direction and they looked to Joshua for leadership. They swung the sword. They prayed. They operated in the gifts of the spirit. They did everything they had together as a team. And guess what? They won with no experience and no, no battle plan. They won. Why did they win? Because they worked together as a community. They worked together. Team heritage. Team heritage. We got to work together. If you're going through a Moses type situation where you have to raise your hands and surrender to God because you don't know what else to do, who's holding up your hands for you? Can you say, well, that would be Joe Bob and Silly Wally and this person and that person. If you don't know their names in this church, you're doing community wrong. You are. Community this way is, hey, I don't know you. Come have dinner with me. That's community. That's how we show our strength. That's how we win this city is by working together, working together as a group of people solely focused on community, not our calling, not tomorrow, but the moment. That's how we change Vancouver. That's how you change your life. That by knowing people that will hold you up. I've told my kids, and I know all of you have, if you hang around the bad kid, you're going to become the bad kid, right? If you had a good, when I was a kid, there was no cell phones. <laughs> now I'm showing my age. There was no cell phones. So if you had a good kid neighbor and you guys hung around and you didn't get in trouble, everyone didn't get in trouble. But who had that one kid in the neighborhood? I was that one kid. <laughs> I was. I was the one that everybody said, don't hang around Jeremy. He didn't know what to do. But if you had that one kid, it spoiled everything. And then you got your kid. Why is my kid getting in trouble? Always hanging around Jeremy, right? And that's when you'd be like, oh my gosh. So that's the thing. Moses, Joshua, they knew that they needed each other. And last but not least, they needed the Lord. If the Lord's not first and foremost in your life, guys, I'll tell you what, you're missing the boat. Don't just come to church for fun and coffee now. (laughs) Don't just come to church because you want to show off your new outfit. Come to church because you want to make an impactful relationship that'll change the very fabric of who you are. That's what church is all about. We are the church. It is not a building, for crying out loud. It is not the pew that you think is yours on Sunday. It is the embodiment of what Christ meant the church to be. Just like the Israelites marching through the desert. They had a purpose and God equipped them to do some cool and amazing and powerful stuff. Joshua had no idea what God had in store for him. 
Five years later, he was leading the Israelites into the promised land. What's your five year going to look like? Who are you going to be in year five? I'm excited and I'm heavy heartened because we've given up too much ground. But I know if we are all focused in what's in front of us, what we could do today to change this world, what God will do to equip us today, what relationships we make today, what, what family members we look to today. Hey, if I have problems, I might call someone of my friends. Like I, I might call Mike. I, I, I'm, I might call Barney. You know why? Because those are men that I trust. Not that I don't trust everyone in this room, so don't take it personal. I'm just using examples. Jay didn't pick me, he doesn't trust me. <laughs> but you get my point, is we're in this together, folks. Just like Moses and Joshua, they're in this together. That I can't imagine how heavy his hands got. I, I, I can think about the wall squats and I'm already getting weak legs. But then, then he had an Aaron and a Hur to hold up his hands, to move a rock so he could sit. Don't let your hands down, Moses. Don't let your hand down, Moses. What are you facing today? And who's encouraging you not to let your hands down? I'll tell you what, that's what you need. You need someone to push you to be better. You need someone to encourage you, not tear you down. That's what the community of believers should be. We shouldn't be complaining or we shouldn't be worrying. We should be victorious in everything we attempt because those around us make us stronger. We are the body of Christ. Stop losing ground. You're not who you think you are. The people next to you will empower you and God will always get you through to victory because he, he designed it that way. Listen, if we, had a, if we had an app where every time something bad would happen, we could push a button and it'd be okay, life would be pretty darn cool. And we laugh because we know how convenient apps are and all those things. But, but, but that's what we have. We have a direct connection from Christ. We have a direct connection from the Holy Spirit. Anytime we need help, instead of getting mad or frustrated or angry, we can live in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we can say, Father, make it better in the now. Stop worrying. Listen, I know. I know a lot of you have uh, sickness in your bodies and it's nagging and it doesn't go away and, and you contend for those things. I know a lot of you have you know, kids and family problems that are, are nagging and you contend for those things and they won't go away and they will keep you up forever at night, won't they? You can worry about those things. And I'm not saying, well, I am saying don't worry. But what I'm saying is, is how you, how you get better, how you get stronger is ask someone to pray with you. Be transparent, be accountable. I've known dad for, I don't know, 13, 12, 13 years. And I gotta be honest, I didn't like him at first. I didn't. First time I ever met him, uh, Brent and Kay went to the, the church off of uh, where Bethel was at. And uh, he said, I, I see you. And I said, whatever, dude, I don't know you at all. I didn't want any accountability. But as I began to develop a relationship with Dav, I realized that there's a guy that I could be accountable to. There's a guy that was also transparent and accountable back to me. And we developed this strong relationship of accountability. And when I have problems, I text Dav. Or I text my people. You should have people. You should be transparent. Stop worrying about what people think about you. In this room, I'm telling you right now, in this room, there are people that love you. In this room, there are people that care about what you're going through. And if they're not, come find me and I'll pop them on the head. I'm serious. That's how church is. 
So folks, I'll tell you as I close, stop losing ground. Live today in the moment. Don't worry, start being victorious because you can do it. Listen, things aren't easy. It wasn't easy, but with community and relationships, things get better. If I, if I had a way to close it, I would say this. The best advice I can give you on how to stop losing ground is ask someone else for help. Ask someone else who's gone through the same things, who's fought the battle already and knows how to win, how to do that. You see, some of us swing swords for a living and some of us raise staffs for a living and some of us are praying on our knees for a living and some of us do all kinds of things in the church but together we all have one thing that the world doesn't have and that's to each other. Christians. The reason this church should be filled every week, every Sunday is because you want to be here because you want to hang out with God and your friends. Not a social event but an overcoming, impactful, miraculous event where you leave here different than when you came in. We need that. We need each other. You're not alone. No matter what you fight in life, there's an army with you. We are here to support you. Lord, we just pray today, God, as I've completely hammered my notes. God, I just pray that today, we would know that no matter how hard the struggle is, Lord, no matter what we're going through, God, no matter what situation we have in front of us, Lord, we have help and we have you and we will not give up ground anymore. We are tired of that. We will live in the moment, Father. Father, I pray, I pray that you would impress upon people who they are in you today. Who they are in you today, Father. God, that we would learn what our identity is in you today, Father. We are warriors. We are overcomers. We may not be equipped yet, but that's who we are because that's who you say we are. Thank you, Father, for everything you've given us. And we pray. Amen. Listen, go change the world. Go change your world. Change everything about it. Don't worry. Be brave. Find someone you don't know and take him to lunch. Trust them. You need accountability and transparency. Amen? God bless you guys. Have a good day.